This week we're going to talk about death, okay? The Bible has a whole lot to say about death. Um, the, the whole world is living in pursuit of not dying, aren't they? And uh, I believe God wants to correct the way that many of us have been living and viewing a topic like death. And, uh, and rather than give you all the statistics trying to get you to naturally overcome your fear of death, um, you know, like, I do, by the way, I do believe. However, that if, uh, that if 18 months ago, 20 months ago, at the beginning of this whole pandemic, if they gave us the real uh, mor- mor- mortality rates per infection of 0.2 or 0.02, whatever it is, um, that if they told us that instead of telling us 8%, we would never have let them do any of the things that they've done to us over the last 18 months. We were slowly cooked, slowly boiled. There's no way if we knew it was 0.2 or 0.02 at that point, we would have allowed this. But even still, today on this topic, I want to address death mostly from a spiritual and Christian standpoint, mainly because death rates vary from virus to virus, right? I'm not talking even strain to strain. I just mean virus to virus, like the flu versus the Spanish flu versus coronavirus versus Ebola. And so what I, the reason I want to preach this from a purely scriptural and, 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 and Christian standpoint is so that this message stands alone no matter what virus we're ever talking about. Okay, so that the Word of God is true, no matter what virus might come at 8% or at 0.2%, we want to know what does God say about death, no matter what situation we're in. Amen. And so that's why today it's going to be different to the abortion sermon series where we're able to share some uh, natural and scientific numbers um, and, and, and information. Um, but this one, uh, but abortion, again, it's just one topic. Death can come from many different ways, can't it? And so we're going to go to Philippians 1.19. For a long time, I've been wanting to just read from my Bible up here. Um, and then um, instead of the Bible copy and pasted on my iPad, it doesn't really make a difference, but I just like it better. And then on Thursday night, I'm like, cool, I agree with old mate. I want to have my actual, I want to bring the book, not just the thing. So anyway, y'all ready for the word? We're going to Philippians 1.19-30. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. I love it when someone in prison and in chains can say something like that. Amen. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with the full courage now, as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether that be by my life or by my death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is again. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is not to, sorry, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me, You may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your life, sorry, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened by anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction and of your salvation, and that from God. For it is, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, 
You should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I, sorry, that, that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. If you want to receive a word from God, would you do me a favor, lift up your hands, close your eyes, let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank You for this great opportunity to come and to worship You. God, that no matter what's going on in the world, we get to gather together that we can fix our eyes on things above. And God, as we did last week, we don't want to leave this place holding on to our own opinions of the Word of God, but help us to realign our beliefs with the truth and help us to live our lives in line with true godly conviction, not thrown, not tossed, not blown around by the wind of the world's uh, circumstances and changing morality, Lord God, but anchored in the Word of God. God, I ask for your help to preach this word today that everybody that hears it in this room or online somehow, that God, we would all leave having been blessed by your word in the name of Jesus. Someone say amen. Amen. Come on, would you high five one of your neighbours and say, don't forget to live. Turn to your other neighbour, say, don't forget to live. Someone yelling at me, don't forget to live. <clears throat> there we go. We're awake at 9 a.m. Hallelujah. Maybe you had just the right amount of Coca-Cola last night. Hey? Today, the title of my sermon is Don't Forget to Live. And I've got four points for you that I believe are going to give you peace, inspire you to steward the time that you have left, uh, to live your life in service to the Lord and to live your life in service to others. Amen. <coughs> So the first point I want to make, I'm going to jump right in. Told you it's going to be hot, but not spicy today. I want to talk to you about the fact that you are going to die. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're going to die. And if you had a fight with your spouse on the way to church, turn to them and say, you're going to die. <laughs> we are all going to die. Every single one of us are going to die. And to make it more specific, you specifically are going to die. You are going to taste death someday unless Jesus Christ returns in glory in our lifetime and we get to be part of the rapture of the saints. Uh, if, if, if that happens, fantastic. Which, by the way, anyone else for the last 20 months, look out the window every day and go, what chapter of Revelation are we in today? Anyone else do that? Turn on the news and you're like, chapter 13. That's, we're doing chapter 13 today. I think the rapture's pretty close. Now, and last year's the first time a lot of Christians were like, I really want to know if I'm pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib, right? Who's, everyone's like, what's that? Google it, you'll find out. It's the first time anyone even cared, though, last year. Are we getting raptured before the Great Tribulation, in the middle of it, or at the end? I'm hoping before, you know? And uh, I, I, by the way, I'm a pre-trib rapture guy. That's me. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not an important, um, it's not a, uh, a make or break sort of leadership thing here, but, uh, but I'm a pre-trib guy. I think God's going to save us from the tribulation. Amen? <laughs> but should that not happen, in reality, you're going to die. It's probably what's going to happen. Every other Christian before you has as well. And they were like, man, the world seems jacked up. I think the rapture's coming and it didn't. And, uh, and, and in our case, it's we're probably going to die. You're going to die. Sorry to start this sermon off so blunt and so hard and with such a slap in the face, but I need you to know that. that, that and here's the thing. We've always known that death is certain. We always said things like the only two certain things are death and taxes. And right now we're like, man, 
I think I prefer death than these taxes, you know, and uh, anybody else. <laughs> but, uh, but we've always said that these two things are always going to be certain. Ecclesiastes 3 says, For everything there is a season and a time, uh, and a time for every matter under heaven. There's a time to be born and there's a time to die. Ecclesiastes 9, uh, For the living, who's alive here? Give me a wave. Well, the living know they will die. All right, Psalm 73, my flesh and my heart may fail. Job, I know that death has been appointed for all the living. Are you sufficiently depressed yet? <laughs> Not yet? Good. Looks like there's some people in here who understand that this is going to happen, right? <clears throat> I got one more for you. It says this, no man, I don't, maybe women do, but no man has power over the day of his death. I'm just kidding. The women don't either. None of mankind have power over the day of their death. So I want to talk to you about what happens when we die, all right? And so we know we're all going to, every one of us is going to die. We're going to depart this earth. What happens when we die? Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time, but I, I really am feeling uh, excited that maybe in the next um, 12 months or so, we could spend a, a whole sermon series on life after death. Um, and, uh, you know, because that would be interesting, wouldn't it, right? Like, because... We don't know, by the way, we don't know how humans would have left this earth if not for the fall of man when Adam and Eve sinned or if they would have left at all. But as it stands right now, the fruit of sin, you've heard the term, the wages of sin is death. So as it stands right now, the fruit of sin and the judgment thereof uh, brings about a moment in our lives where there will be a separation of the body and the soul through your physical death, right? Just as we read, death is now certain for every single one of us. But I'm going to give you maybe a three, four hundred second explanation of what happens when we die, okay? So when we die, our soul separates from our body. The mortal separates from the immortal. <clears throat> and at that death, a soul that has been made holy by believing in Jesus Christ and accepting Him as Lord and Savior goes to a great and exciting worship service in heaven. All right? That's good news. Some, some have incorrectly taught that the soul goes to purgatory awaiting further sanctification. But this is not found anywhere in all of Scripture. Not from the start to the end, it is not in there. It is, and the only reason that this idea of purgatory is even considered a real thing is because the Catholics began to teach it. And at the time that they began to teach this, they were convincing people to give more money to get their loved ones out of purgatory and into heaven. This was called paying indulgences. Have you heard this term before? Give me a wave if you've heard this term. It was evil. It was, it was manipulation. And it was using a God-given authority to manipulate people for your own gain. All right? And what they were told is that when you die, your soul goes into purgatory awaiting further sanctification. But if your parents or your family would give the church more money, that that would be the, the ticket required for your family to get from purgatory to heaven. And it's a load of crap. Someone say amen. Now, the, 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 the Catholic faith also teaches that tradition is canon. I don't know if you've heard the word canon. If you've been to Bible college, you've heard the word canon when it comes to tradition and authority. The word canon 
means authority. So the Word of God is canon. And so things that aren't in the Word of God are not canon. The the word canon, it means that if the Word of God is canon, it means it's the ultimate authority. The Word of God is the ultimate authority on what is right, on what is wrong. It is the ultimate authority on what is good and what is not good. It is the ultimate authority on what is light and what is dark. It is the ultimate authority. You follow me, (laughs) right? Now, Catholics believe that tradition is canon. So they believe that not only does Scripture hold the ultimate authority on what we should and should not do, but tradition also is another canon, another authority. So basically, they're saying if it's been done long enough or if it's been said long enough, it has authority and it's true. And so they've been talking about purgatory and it was, and it was a belief system for long enough that now they say that, well, because tradition is canon, God allowed us to continue to teach this, therefore it must have authority. That's jacked up, right? There is one canon, it is the Word of God, amen? So let me tell you this, purgatory is not found anywhere in all of Scripture. If you grew up Catholic, hey, my apologies, I'm not trying to be mean to you, but there is no such thing as purgatory. It's not in the Word of God. It's a made-up idea. There is no such thing as purgatory. Someone say, thank God. So what happens then when we die? Well, firstly, you don't have a soul. You are a soul, right? Right now, right now, you don't have a soul. You are a soul, okay? That's what you are. And you were never supposed to be separate from the body. God did not design Adam and Eve and go, all right, one day we're going to just rip this soul and this body apart. That's not how it was supposed to happen. These parts of us were not designed to be torn apart, but because of sin and and the wages of sin, the new tragic abnormality that was never supposed to be is that our soul and our bodies are torn apart in death. And therefore, the ultimate goal of what Jesus Christ purchased on the cross or the great hope of the believer, have you ever heard our great hope or the great hope of the Christian, right? Those are terms that were used a lot in the old days, right? The great hope of the Christian faith is not disembodied souls living without bodies in heaven for all of eternity, but the great hope of the believer is the resurrection of the body, all right? See, see, Christianity is not merely a go to heaven when you die religion, but Christianity is a resurrection religion. Are you following me? Scripture says that there will be a new earth and we will, and, and then our soul and our resurrected bodies will come back together again. Are you with me? Christianity is a new life, resurrection religion. Every single denomination of faith of Christianity has believed it. It is a resurrection religion. We're not designed to live forever uh, in heaven with no bodies. God designed us with a body and a soul and he breathed life, his spirit into us as well. That's the way God intended it to happen, amen? And so we're a resurrection religion. See, Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid the price for our sins and he resurrected, prophesying into our lives that we will be resurrected as well. So what does all that mean? It means that although we invited sin into the world, and I know some of y'all are like, I didn't, 
Adam did. You did too. Yeah, you didn't sin. Come on, we invited sin into the world and into our own lives. And with that came death. And when we die, it's not final because there's a resurrection coming. Scripture and all Christian faiths teach that the day will come when there's a new earth and our souls will be reunited with a resurrection body, just as we were supposed to be. Amen. Now, I had someone ask me online when I put a thing up, does anyone have questions about death? And um, I didn't share them all because a lot of them were personal. Um, but, but one person asked me, um, what's the Christian teaching on cremation versus burial? And I thought, that's actually a great question. I'm just going to throw that in here for you. Um, so number one, if you died 5,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago um, and, and you, you were buried in the ground, um, chances are that that your remains have, have been spread around the earth um, by insects, uh, by, um, by decomposition, by animals, uh, and by plants, right? And so, so if God can resurrect that body, God can resurrect a cremated body, amen? And so Scripture does not forbid cremation anywhere. How, in fact, some of the disciples were burned at the stake. And, and imagine if being burned meant you couldn't go to heaven. That would be ridiculous, right? Like if you die in a car accident and there's no fire, well, you'll be resurrected. That'd be fantastic, you know, in a thousand years or whenever. Uh, uh, but, if you, but, if you, um, but if you die and your car explodes, well, you're going to burn in hell putting your eternity down to luck, whether there was a spark or not. That's ridiculous, okay? So Christianity does not forbid cremation at all. However, so you know, the Word of God and all of Scripture does indicate a leaning toward burial as a more respectful way to lay the Christian body to rest as opposed to cremation. But it does not forbid that. It just leans that way. And there's not really any way to say this is what you should have done with your loved ones or not. Either way, Scripture talks about the the day that will come when the resurrection of the saints. Amen? So, after we die, and while we wait, there is no purgatory. Scripture says about the believer, to be separate from the body is to be present with the Lord. The day you die is the day your soul and spirit go to live in the presence of God in heaven. And it will be glorious. It will be beautiful. Amen. In fact, Jesus said to the thief on the cross that today you will be with me in paradise. Today, you will be with me. See, some people go, well, where's paradise? He said, you'll be with me. Today, Jesus wouldn't, even if there was a purgatory, Jesus wouldn't be there waiting for his soul to be sanctified. Hello, all right? He said, today, you will be with me in heaven, amen? Now, what I love about that, in in that moment, Jesus showed us two incredible things when he said that one sentence, today you'll be with me in paradise. Two beautiful things are shown to us in in that one little moment. It's number one, that it's never too late to give your life to Jesus Christ. That even if you spent your entire life in disobedience to God, even if you spent your entire life in sin, in wrong, running away from God, hurting people, hurting, you know, trying to fight against God's plans for your life, God's design for your life. Listen to me, no matter who you are, it's never, ever too late that even in your last moments, hanging on a cross before you take your last breath, those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. Number two, the moment that you die, 
you will be with the Lord and there will be no pain. There'll be no death. There'll be no hurt. There'll be no regret. You'll immediately be in heaven and you won't want to come back and live on the earth in this state. You will not want to live here until it's the new earth, until God's done a new thing. You won't want to be away from God. You will love it there. And the moment that you die is the moment that you're with the Lord. Amen. Hey, if you're enjoying the podcast and want to support Eternity Church, please leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That will help us reach more people to share the good news with. Thanks so much. Now back to the message. I hope, is this helping some of you? Because some of you probably don't know any of this, but it's like pretty basic Christian faith stuff that used to get talked about a lot. Someone before the last night's service come up to me and goes, I'm so excited for this sermon on death today because I, I, all my years of a Christian, I don't know whether they've been 20, 30 years, whatever it is, they said, I've never once heard a sermon on death. And I was like, oh. And then I stopped like, um, me neither. I actually haven't heard one either, actually. So I'm going to watch this one afterwards. If it's stored somewhere, <laughs> if, if Facebook, someone lets us. But listen to me, Christians should not fear death. They shouldn't want to die tomorrow because God has plans for them today. But we should not live our lives in fear of death, but rather love life, live it to its fullest, and look forward to heaven and then the resurrection. Again, I, I, I think this is something that a lot of people didn't know. We were designed in the beginning when God made mankind with a body. And it is his plan that we will have one again. Amen. I hope this is helping you. I know this has been a very teachy, teachy sermon so far, but is it all right? Cool. The third point, and this is where I want to, this leads into this. Um, the third point is the fear of death is slavery. If you live your life in fear of death, you are living your life in slavery. John 14, 1 to 6 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. This is Jesus talking. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. Sorry, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come and take you myself. That you, sorry, that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I am going. I love that. You know how to get where, you know the way. And then Thomas, we don't know the way. (laughs) Anyone else love Thomas? He's hilarious, isn't he? This happens with me and my kids all the time. I'm like, you know what to do. He's like, I don't know what to do. I'm like, I've told you what to do, right? Jesus is like, you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas goes, we don't know how to get where you're going. So how could we know the way? And Jesus says, you know the way because you know me and I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You know the way because I am the way and you know me. Hey, church, you know the way to heaven and you know the way to resurrection because he is the way and you know him. Amen. He's the one that takes you where he is going. Amen. So Christians know where we're going. We know where we're going. We know that Jesus said he goes to prepare a place for us in his father's house. He even said, I wouldn't tell you that if it weren't true. I wouldn't tell you about my father's house if I weren't going to take you with me. See, he's not some school kid bragging about daddy's big house to make you jealous. Oh, my house is bigger than yours. We've got a helicopter pad out the back. Well, my dad's got a bigger helicopter. 
You know what I mean? No, 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 no. He's saying, I'm telling you about it so you know there's room in my father's house for you as well. He's not some schoolyard kid bragging about daddy's Lamborghini that you ain't ever going to get to touch. No, no, no. I would not tell you this if I weren't going to take you there. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And yet still knowing this, too many people, too many Christians are living with a fear of death. Even though death has not yet touched them, they live like they are dead. Hebrews calls this living life in slavery to the fear of death. Jesus came, the the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus came to deliver all those who through fear of death were living in a lifelong slavery. Living your life dictated to by death is living your life in slavery to death. And therefore, if you're living your life in slavery to death, You're living your life in slavery to death's master, the devil. And we need to break some chains today. We need to set some slaves free today. Amen. Christians should not be living their lives in fear, but rather with faith that reminds them when I die or should I die, I will be instantly in my father's house eagerly and excitedly awaiting the day we find ourselves on the new earth. Some of you need to be delivered from slavery today. I believe God didn't just want us to preach an educating sermon, but a transforming sermon. This is not just a sermon so that you can be educated and walk out and tell someone, I know what happens when we die. No, it's a sermon so you can walk out and tell the devil to stuff it because you know what happens when we die. Amen. I believe some people are going to get set free from slavery today. The crazy thing is that if you knew that next month you were certainly going to die, you would get out and live your life today. Everyone at home who's locked up still, last year in the heights of the pandemic, if you knew that next month you were certainly going to die, you would get out and live your life on fire for you know that you have limited time. And yet in the reverse, knowing that you only might die next month has somehow caused people to stay home and stop living. How does that make sense? Knowing we will die, we start to live. Knowing we might die, we stop living. That leads me to my fourth point. While you wait for your inescapable death, don't forget to live. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, don't forget to live. Come on, yell it at me. Don't forget to live. live. While you wait for your inescapable death, don't forget to live. I want to tell you a story, um, uh, one last story from 2 Kings. Um, it's a great story. Um, there was a famine in the land and the Syrians were encamped around the, the king of Israel and, 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 and encamped around their city waiting for them to come out to get food or water or supplies so that they could attack them, right? The Syrians are trying to attack the, uh, the, the, the children of God. And, uh, and there were four lepers at the entrance to the gate, okay? Uh, four lepers. So there's the city. There's a famine. That it's, everyone's starving. The, the Syrians are out, outside down the valley trying, waiting for, for the Israelites to come out and get food or water or supplies. And then at the gate, at the, at the entrance, 
uh, between the death of the famine and, and the death of the Syrians, there are four lepers. And the four lepers, they look at each other and they say, why are we sitting here waiting to die? If we say, let us enter the city, well, the famine is in the city and we will die there. If we sit here, we will die here. If we go to the Syrians, we will die there. But there's food and life over there. So let's go to the Syrians who are waiting to attack the city. If they spare our lives, we shall live. If they kill us, we will die, but we'll die in the city and we'll die at the gate. We're going to die. Someone say, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. <clears throat> so, so they thought, so they said, all right, let's, let's go to the Syrians. So they went to the camp of the Syrians, but when they got there, the Syrians were gone. There was no one there. And Scripture says in verse 6 of 2 Kings 7, For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses and the sound of a great army, the Syrians. The Lord had made the Syrians hear the sound of a great army. So the Syrians said to one another, Oh no, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So the Syrians fled in the twilight. They abandoned their tents, their horses, their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was they fled for their lives. The lepers get there and they're like, What's up? Look at all this. So they went into all the tents and they ate and they drank, and they grabbed all the silver, and all the gold, and all the clothing. They're like, check out this donkey. That is for sure a 321 model. This is brilliant. Never seen a better donkey in all my life. Look at the horse. I got a horse and a donkey. I got gold and food and a tent. Because I said I'm not going to sit here and die. They were living it up. They're like, this is the best moment of my life. I got leprosy and I'm living better than all of them. And all of a sudden they realized that it's not right for us to live it up while everyone else is living in fear. They had a come to Jesus moment. And they said to each other, what we are doing is not right. What I love about these, leper about these lepers is for years, they have been outcasts. For years, people have crossed the street when they walk near them. For years, people have said, I don't like the way that you live. I don't like how you got sick. I don't like who you are. You are being punished by God. Not true, but they believed it. I don't like you. Get away from me. And those same men who have been ostracized are living it up. And they say, it's not right that we do this without them. Isn't that beautiful? So they went and they told the city the good news. And in verse 16, all the people went out and they plundered the camp of the Syrians. And they, they're eating and they're drinking and they got new donkeys and new horses and maybe a dog or two. They're like, this is awesome. There's a lot to pull out of this story. And some of you already, as we read it, you're like, oh, I know what he's gonna say. I, I, I can see how this lines up with today, right? But isn't it amazing what faith can rise in your heart when you make peace with the fact that over there, over there, or over here, we might die, right? 
Or even more so, what faith might rise in your heart the moment you realize, uh, uh, I am going to die. These four lepers made peace with the fact that I will die. We too need to make that peace in our lives. I'm going to die. It is inescapable. It has been appointed for each man that there will be a death. And we need to allow Jesus to set us free from the slavery of the fear of death because we know where we're going. And then when we get set free, we need to, like these lepers, choose to live while we wait. Now, on the one hand, you are the leper in the story. We are the lepers in the story. In many ways, one way, because we were like, sorry, world, we're going to keep living, right? And they're like, oh, you bunch of lepers, (laughs) right? On the other hand, we are the leper in the story in that If we're rich or poor, we're going to die. Whether we're sick or healthy, we're going to die. If we go to the Syrians or stay here or go in there, one day we're all going to die. So the question really is, while we wait, what shall we do? Shall we sit down at the city gate and just wait there to die? Or will we go and plunder the enemy's camp? And take what the devil meant for harm and use it for good. It really is a question of stewardship. What are you doing with the life that God gave you? I can tell you, you weren't supposed to just sit at the gate and wait. Last year, probably three to three and a half million people died. Don't hear much about that number. You just hear about the 400,000 or so that died from coronavirus. I guess the other 2.6 million wish they didn't stay home waiting to die. Is that all right to say? I'm going to say it, but I did say it. Those 2.4 million, so many of them, the world forced them to die at the gate when they could have died in the camp, eating and drinking and riding a new donkey but the world forced them to die at the gate. Can I tell you, when you read the word of God, there is no way on earth that that is how God would have had us respond to the possibility of death. There's just no way. No way. The only way that people do it is they're like, love your neighbor. I'm like, okay, you got one scripture, you're gonna twist the crap out of it and try and make me stay home. We'll talk about that in a minute. But can I tell you this? Just because you didn't die last year doesn't mean that you actually lived last year. A lot of people didn't die. I want to be like these lepers, understanding, oh, I am going to die. But my ambitions are so much bigger than not dying. Like, let's think about that for a minute. The goal of life is not not dying. It's stewardship. What am I doing with the life that God gave me? Because not dying doesn't mean you're stewarding it. Hello? What are you doing with your life? Are you wasting your life? Have you been chained by fear? Have you been living in slavery to death and its master? The possibility of death coming sooner rather than later should make us chase the vision and the mission that God put in our hearts with more urgency, not less. In the scripture I read at the start of my message, the Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ. 
And for me to die, that's gain. Those are the words of a man who understood that someday we all shall die. It is inescapable. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain are the words of a man who understood what happens when he dies and where he will go when it happens. Those are the words of a man who has allowed the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver him and set him free and break the chains of slavery in his life. Those are the words of a man who's chosen to live while he waits for that appointed day and to live the life that Christ Jesus died to give him for me to live is Christ. For all of history, we've all understood that every good thing in life comes with risk. It's always been true. But last year, now I'm not mocking the media. There's a lot of great people in the media. And some of them attend our church. Wonderful, good, godly people. But last year, a lot of the media, a lot of what you read, a lot of what you saw, social media as well. Death, 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 death. That's all they were talking about. How many people died? How many this? How many that? On repeat, on repeat, on repeat, on repeat. All they said was, stay home or die, stay home or die, stay home or die, stay home or die. No one ever got to see life. No one got to taste fruit. And then that fear cycle began where I believed it a little bit. It's reaffirmed all day on social media. It's reaffirmed all day in every conversation that I have with a friend. It's reaffirmed all day when the, when the media yells at me. My friends are posting it. Everybody's talking about it. It's reaffirmed over and over and over. We get in the cycle and we, we get deeper and deeper and the chains get thicker and thicker on our wrists. In the middle of that, some of us chose life over death. Some of us chose stewardship over the gate. Some of us chose to live, to have faith over fear. And we allowed the Lord to break the chains of slavery in our lives and start to live again. For a lot of us here, it took four weeks and we were like, I'm gonna live. Some of us, it took a little longer. Some of us didn't let the chains on at all. Some of us only took the chains off last week. And can I tell you, for those who have chosen to live last week, I applaud you. You're a legend. Well done. I think it would have been harder to break those chains off after 18 months than it was for us after four weeks. And so I think you're courageous. I think you're incredible. Well done. Good job. Seriously. I'm not, I'm not trying to belittle you. I'm not being pessimistic. I'm being serious. Well done. To break those chains off after an 18-month fear cycle in slavery to death and its master. Well done. Well done. We chose to continue to pray, to gather, to love one another, serve one another, lay hands on the sick. And you know what we discovered? <clears throat> we discovered when we left the gate that there's still so much gold and treasure in the world. We, like the lepers, found out that the enemy has no power over us. Because if I die, I'll be present with the Lord, waiting the resurrection. We like the lepers, we found food, we found strength, we found gold, we found joy, we found hope, we found relationships, we found life when we left the gate. But as one of those lepers, I come to you to tell you, to tell you the Syrians are gone. The Syrians are gone. Death has been destroyed. 
When your body and your soul separate, you'll be present with the Lord and you won't want to come back until it's a new earth. And so as one of those lepers out enjoying the field, I want to tell you, it's not right for us to enjoy this without you. We don't want to do the wrong thing by living this faithful, beautiful life without telling everybody else there is more. God's got more for you. God's not done, amen. God is a healer. Living in fear is slavery. Come on. Come on, would you stand up for me? Look at your neighbour, say, don't be a slave. Look at your other neighbour and say, don't forget to live. Yell it at me, don't forget to live. We'll do it again, all right? On the count of three. One, two, three. Don't forget to live. Yeah, we all need to be counted in to get on time. (laughs) Not the band. They just magically land in line like their brains are in sync. The love your neighbor story, love your neighbor has not and never will mean staying away from people. I'm sorry. Do not twist the Word of God. By the way, I am so sick of worldly, ungodly people telling the church what the Bible means. Like, shut up already. Like, how about the people who have been living this thing for 30 years will tell you about it like God intended us to? Imagine like, you know, the story of like Philip rolling over to um, the, the eunuch on the chariot. Philip's reading the Bible, calls out to the eunuch, hey, Philip, Christian apostle guy, let me tell you what this means. Shut up, eunuch. Let me tell you what it means. Governor of New York telling me what God would have everyone do. Shut up, eunuch. Let me tell you what it says. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Amen. I don't know if they're a eunuch. I was just saying that. Like I didn't hear some piece of information that now you all need to start spreading on Instagram and it comes back to me. It's just using a metaphorical example. You got that? Yeah, cool. Good. Now don't say that to be mean, but, but seriously, it's our job to tell them. Don't let the world tell you what the Bible means. That's crap. Because what they do is they grab that one scripture and be like, stay away from people. Listen, I ain't getting told how to love my neighbor from someone who ignored their neighbor for 18 months. Sorry. I want to know how to love them from the person that even though the neighbor had leprosy, they went to their house and laid hands on them. That's love. Love is not, oh my gosh, you might kill me. I'm staying away. No, that's stupid. But in the case of the story about the lepers at the gate, it was the outcasts that led everyone back into prosperity because they refused to sit and wait and die. Be an outcast. Lead people back into joy. Let's lead the world back into faith. Let's lead the world back into hope. Let's lead the world back into love, back into life back into prosperity. Amen. If you've been living with a fear of slavery in your life, I want to pray for you that those chains would break off in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes because that would be stupid. Let's break off fear. But so you're not afraid, 
get everyone to close their eyes. We do the close eye thing for salvation. Right now, I want to know if you've been living in fear of slavery, in fear of a, sorry, if you've been living in slavery to, the, to death. Maybe it's because of Corona. Maybe it's because of something completely different. I'm telling you right now, God is giving you an opportunity to find freedom and find healing and to break chains. Every time in Scripture that people are set free from something, they're told to go do something. Right now, I want to tell the slaves in the room, walk down the front right now. Just get out of your seat and walk down the front. You won't be alone. There was like 40 people last night that responded. Just walk down the front. Keep coming. There we go. Keep coming. Walk down the front all over the place. There we go. People, just keep coming. Keep coming. There we go. Keep coming. We're setting slaves free today. Keep coming. There's more. Keep coming. There's more. There's more. Keep coming. Hallelujah. Come on. We will not be dictated to by fear. We will not live our lives overcome by the enemy. We will not sit down at the gate and wait. We're going to live and we know and we're going to go out. We're going to tell the devil, yeah, I'm going to die one day. And even when that happens, death won't have the last word because I will be present with the Lord and then I will be resurrected and joined to my body again. You will not have the last word, death. Get off my life. In the name of Jesus. Well, thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, be sure to check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, please visit MyEternity.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at MyEternityChurch. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.